Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to this week's Scout the Game Week. Scout the Game Week is a fantasy football scout weekly podcast brought to you by the Scout Network. In each episode, we'll look back on the game week we've just played and assess what we can learn to help us in the next round of fixtures. I'm Sam from the FPL family. Let's Scout the Game Week. This week, I'm joined by Pete from FPL SideNet. Pete, it is great to have you back on. We are obviously in the middle of an international break, which is causing me a lot of grey hairs, I've got to be honest, with all these injuries that we're starting to see. Obviously, a bit of an injury scare for Lukaku, and, and you guys can't see because you can't see Pete, but I can see Pete sat there proudly in his Chelsea jumper that he's currently wearing. So just give us an update on Lukaku so far. It seems like we haven't really heard a lot since we heard he was going to have a scan. Yeah, well, hello, Sam. Hello, listeners. It's a pleasure to be joining you again from Melbourne, Australia. And yeah, that sort of came out of nowhere, didn't it? And he has had a very good international break so far. He scored in in both games for Belgium. But yeah, reports that he's having a scan on a a thigh muscle injury. But from the sounds of it, it's something he's had for a little while. And it's Mm. just a a minor concern. So he was suspended for their next game anyway. So it sounds it's more like a precaution than anything else. And hopefully we, we see him. Um, roll out for Chelsea against Aston Villa this weekend. Well, 100%, because if you're a Lukaku owner, you probably bought him in in part because of this yeah. Aston Villa game this weekend. Without Martinez in goal for, for Aston Villa, and we'll talk about that shortly, Lukaku looks like a really nice pick this weekend. So all ears on the Chelsea press conference, I imagine, at the end of the week to see what's come of this scan. And then, of course, this morning, we had more injury woes again in London, this time at Spurs, with the news that Son has done something to his right calf muscle. It's like the worst thing ever for me, because I've spent the whole of this week saying, I'm not wildcarding, because if I wildcard, I have to take Son out. And I really want him for Crystal Palace. I think he's going to have a good game. Subsequently, I haven't wildcarded. And now we're in a situation where he did play the full 90 minutes against Iraqi, so has made it through the game, but is now out of their next friendly during this international break and will come back to Spurs more quickly. And of course, with Spurs being that lunchtime kickoff on Saturday at 12.30, that is not ideal and it doesn't look promising. Yeah, although we've seen in the past, Sun seems to have superhuman rejuvenation powers. That's true. How many times have we heard he's been ruled out? And then, you know, amazingly, he he just walks out onto the pitch for the game. So like you said, we still need to hear a lot of information. It's that news only really broke just before we, we went on air before. So mm. trying to get a bit more information and hopefully Nuno, although he tends to keep a lot of information close to his his chest. I'm not expecting much from Nuno, <laughs> but hopefully we get some leaks out of the South Korea camp maybe and we get a bit more information. 
Yeah, because I, I do think that, you know, going into game week four, that's a really nice fixture for Sun and, and for a lot of FPL managers who own him already, myself included. I was kind of thinking maybe the wild card comes after because obviously it's in North London derby against Arsenal and, and the game against Chelsea coming up in game weeks four and five, at five and six, sorry. That seemed a better time for me with the way that my team was structured to look at wild cards. So now I'm, I'm very carefully watching what happens with Sun over the next few days. What are your thoughts on Ronaldo? Are you in the let's jump straight in or are you in the wait and see camp? I have tossed and turned on this decision so many times during the international (laughs) break. Now, I'm not on a wild card and I think if I was, I'd probably be going in and out with with Ronaldo. But, yeah, there was some news just earlier before we actually came on, on air that there's a slight chance he may miss the game against Newcastle because there's concern about his fitness while he's in quarantine but I think Ronaldo is probably the fittest human on the planet so (laughs) I don't really think fitness is an issue issue for him but the temptation is there isn't it Uh, Mm. fantasy football is all about having a lot of fun and it doesn't get more fun than getting Ronaldo into your side and you know for for managers that have played the game for a long time like myself because I'm very old (laughs) uh, I have a lot of fun memories of Ronaldo in fantasy Mm. football and yeah, the temptation is real. And um, I would not be surprised if I get down to, you know, it'll be Saturday Saturday night here in Australia before the deadline. And I'm still trying to make the decision whether to move for Ronaldo or not. I think for me, it's going to come down to the wild card button. If the wild card's hit, it's, it's easy to make the move for Ronaldo. If the wild card button stays inactive, it's much more difficult because it means taking probably a four, more likely an eight point hit in order to do it. And at the same time, losing the likes of, of Bruno Fernandes and probably Sun for me to budget for this. Now, if Sun's injured, that maybe makes that decision slightly easier. But as you say, Sun does seem to bounce back from these things remarkably quickly. And we have seen that in the past. So I'm going to be waiting to see on all of those things. And, and and you've already mentioned the kind of the quarantine issues. Now, we had some some disruption um, over in South America. So whilst it seems to be going relatively well in terms of, you know, the games getting played and stuff in, in Europe, we have had some issues over with Brazil and Argentina. Their games called off for COVID reasons. We've had players removed from the pitch as a result of COVID protocols. Um, obviously, with two Spurs players involved, I've kind of been following that a bit more closely and it does seem like all is okay again at the moment. So the Spurs players will be coming back through Europe to do their quarantine so that they can avoid the quarantine hotels in England. And that means they'll be able to maintain their fitness levels, if you like, ahead of, um, well, not being stuck in a hotel room for 10 days. Yep. So... I guess we're just going to have to see what the ramifications of this international break are as they come back. But with the likes of Martinez and Buendia, again, we still don't have firm information from Aston Villa as to how and where and when they're quarantining. So it's difficult. And obviously that's going to impact who you maybe go up top because Lukaku against a Martinez less Aston Villa feels like a very good opportunity. Yeah, it, it really does. And of course, we're still in the middle of an international break. We're recording this on Tuesday. Yeah. We still got international fixtures to play ahead of the game week four deadline. As we've talked about, we've got quarantine issues. We've got injury issues. Everything that international break <laughs> usually throws up, we are seeing in this international break. But let's 
go back and have a little think about what we saw in game week three, which now feels like quite a long time ago. It really does. <laughs> we saw Bruno Fernandes blank again in game week three, meaning that he has now blanked in nine of his last 15 Premier League matches. Now, when I read that stat, it shocked me because to me, Bruno Fernandes is this trustworthy, always points returning FPL legend of the last 18 months. I feel like he was a little bit of a gift at the time of COVID because he came in and would always brighten my mood by returning me <laughs> multiple points when, you know, I was locked up under under COVID restrictions. So I love Bruno Fernandez. And when I read that stat about nine of the last 15 Premier League fixtures, I was really surprised. What are your thoughts on Bruno? Because a lot of FPL managers are probably thinking, well, I'd rather swap Bruno over for Ronaldo because Ronaldo's on pens and set pieces for Portugal and it's not Bruno. Do we see that swap? Can you own both? Should you own both? Is Bruno just going to be a sacrifice? Yeah, it's looking looking that way. I mean, Bruno, he's already dropped under the 50% ownership. So he's now down to 48%. So there has... There seems to be a bit of a shift there of, of managers moving their Man United mm. premium asset there, which seems like the most logical thing to do. And it only it feels like yesterday preseason everyone was talking about, you know, do you go Bruno? Do you go the cheaper option of Sancho? And then after that hat trick against Leeds straight away, well, like, why did we even think about not going with Bruno? <laughs> it was yeah. silly thoughts. And it it is um funny to think like that, but United are coming up against Newcastle this weekend and the thought of removing Bruno in a home fixture against Newcastle uh-huh. just seems so illogical, but it's that temptation of getting that new shiny toy Ronaldo in there. And, and like you mentioned before, I I can't really see Bruno keeping the set pieces and the penalties, especially when Old Trafford's going to be packed to the rafters and Ronaldo is going to be standing over the ball with bated breath. So I just, I can't see it happening, but yeah, it's, do we actually move from Bruno to Ronaldo? And, you know, if you can do it without a hit, I, you know, I can definitely see the temptation there because he's a very good captain choice for this weekend. But, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and just go, okay, am I really going to get rid of Bruno against Newcastle? And what, what are your thoughts about that? No, I'm in exactly the same place as you are. I look at my team and, as I mentioned before, I'm currently not wildcarding. And I I think, you know, to be able to fund Ronaldo, it would mean losing Tony, probably. I'm sort of okay with that. But I do quite like owning Tony. He's, although he's only returned one goal so far, I do think he's got potential in there. And we've seen that yeah. potential coming through already. So I could potentially lose him, but that means downgrading Bruno quite substantially in order to upgrade Tony a lot to get to Cristiano Ronaldo and there's not anybody in that kind of category of like the five-ish million that I really like the look of so that would also then mean downgrading Sun that would be more doable then because I could then perhaps go for two seven-ish million pound and there's a lot of decent players in that bracket but that means taking out Bruno ahead of Newcastle and Sun ahead of Crystal Palace which feels all kinds of wrong. So (laughs) that's where up my head is. Now, if obviously, as I said before, if the news comes out of Spurs that actually Sun isn't going to be available for the weekend, then maybe my decision-making becomes a little bit easier and maybe it is a wildcard job because there are other things I would like to do in my team, but I feel like it's going to happen at the same time the premium stuff happens. So 
I do agree with you, though. I am expecting the roots to points for Bruno to be less than they were previously now that we've got Ronaldo there. Whether Ronaldo takes every free kick, that remains to be seen. It's possible, I suppose, that they share them. But I am expecting Ronaldo to be on the majority of them and I am expecting Ronaldo to take penalties. So that does remove some of the appeal of owning Bruno Fernandes as well. But ahead of a trip to Newcastle, until we are absolutely sure that that means he's not on penalties and he's not on set pieces, I'm struggling to take him out. Yeah, it, although that said, we saw Bruno in that game against Leeds, three goals, none of them were set pieces and exactly. none of them were penalties. So, And Ronaldo tends to, when he has the ball, move out to the left a bit more and, and Greenwood does a lot of the running as well. So there's going to be opportunities for Bruno to, to sort of ghost into the box and, and get onto the end of things as well. But... And, you know, sort of the logical part of me is thinking, just wait and see, see, because there's just so many questions. We don't know how it's going to affect Greenwood, who's, you know, really probably been United's best player so far this season. And, you know, is Pogba going to drop back further in that, that midfield? We've seen how, you know, important he's been for the creativity there closer up. Um, to the front of the pitch and you know Cavani only just recently came back too and not only is he probably going to be sharing his minutes he's already lost his locker and his shirt number so (laughs) how's how's he going to react to that too there's you know Ollie's really got a lot of things that he's going to work out and you know I am tempted just to sort of wait and see what happens but at the same time you know you really want to go for it and then and attack it and I would not blame managers at all for for doing that it's definitely a strong consideration for myself and I definitely would not do it for a hit though removing Bruno for a hit this week against Newcastle just seems seems a bit silly but you know if you can do it without a hit or if you're on a wild card definitely Mm. So the Saturday evening fixture of game week three threw up one of the best Premier League matches that I think I have watched in a very, very long time. Liverpool and Chelsea played out a game which I thought was actually going to get ruined with the Reese James sending off. I thought this will be, it'll just be rubbish now. I hate it when players get sent off in games I'm enjoying because often it removes the temper. It means the team just sits back and defends, but it wasn't like that at all. Like Chelsea, for me, watching them, a 10-man Chelsea team against Liverpool. And for a large portion of that game, I didn't notice that Chelsea had 10 men. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Now, the Chelsea fixtures take a huge turn for the better, as has been well reported across the FPL community in game week seven. Most FPL managers, I think, prior to the Ronaldo, Lukaku transfers that we had in this window we're thinking game week seven is the moment for the wild card button to be here that's certainly kind of where my head was there was a little bit of me that was thinking if it goes well just wait till game week 13 but game week seven's fixtures look lovely yeah but are we at a point actually where with as we've mentioned before Aston Villa presumably going to be missing their shot stopper as well as Buendia that we should be investing in Chelsea right now because obviously they have Villa in four, they have Spurs in five and they have Man City in six. So the Spurs and Man City fixtures look on paper to be a bit more challenging. And Spurs-Chelsea fixtures do tend to be, they're a bit more cagey usually. There's not like loads of goals in those games. But what do you think? Is it something that we should be just going, right, let's just invest in Chelsea now because the fixture in four is really nice. Keep them through five and six and then have them for this really nice run. Or do we wait? Yeah, I think there's a very strong argument right now, if you are wildcarding, to look at Chelsea defence because they probably have been the standout 
so far this season. And Thomas Tuchel, he does love to rotate. He's probably just as bad as Pep, <laughs> what we've seen so far. And he mentioned preseason how he was going to give a lot more players more opportunities this season. So, you know, that probably set alarm bells off for a lot of managers. But it's not ideal, is seen, it? No, it's not ideal. But, but you know, players like Antonio Rudiger at 5.5 million, He's a very popular choice right now on the wild card. He's still only 8% owned. And like you mentioned, that the Chelsea fixture swings really kick into gear from game week seven. But seeing how solid that defense is, you, you probably you don't want to ignore that if you're on a wild card, having to book in transfers in the future already. Bring him in now because, like you said, they've got a depleted villa, Spurs, and then City. And you know, Chelsea could easily keep two clean sheets out of those three. And and by the time we get to game week seven, his ownership's only going to go up. Prices will go up. And yeah, Rudiger's probably world-class defender. Probably doesn't get talked enough. When we talk about world-class defenders, we we often talk about, you know, players like Van Dyke And R- Rudiger often tends to get forgotten a little bit. You know, we've seen Ruben Diaz really step up the, the last season as well. But Rudiger can match it with anyone. And mm. I'll definitely be moving for him in the future. You probably definitely want him for that game week 12 fixture against Leicester at least because he always scores against Leicester. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when a player has a team that they always get something against. What about Reese James? Because obviously Reese James was incredibly popular in the FPL community in terms of people talking about him ahead of the Liverpool game. And I was certainly watching him. He was the, the Chelsea player that I was really focused in on during that game week three match against Liverpool because... For me, getting in players like Lukaku or Mason Mount is quite difficult because of the way that my team is is structured. Yep. But Reese James is in a really nice price point. He's an easy transfer in for the likes of Luca Dean, who hasn't been what I was hoping he would be. And the red card obviously throws a massive spanner in the works because he's going to miss game week four, which is the game you would want him for in terms of that fixture against Aston Villa, I'm, you know, it's, it's hard to know for definite whether there's clean sheet potential against Spurs or against Manchester City the two game weeks after that, but there's always attacking threat from Reese James. Is he a player that you, one, think he's going to hold his place in the team and two, somebody that we should be investing in? Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument once we get to game week seven that the Chelsea double up in defence is definitely on. Mm. And also adding into that, Ben Chilwell continues to drop in price. So once he comes into that side, you know, there's a really good option there at a cheaper price. But yeah, like you mentioned, Reese James looked fantastic. And before that red card, I think I, I shot out a tweet just saying, I'm getting Reese James in. Mm. <laughs> and the biggest thing for me was that he was, he, he took the corner that Kai Havertz scored off. And that's new for Reese James. Usually Mason Mount takes the penalty, uh, sorry, takes the corner kicks from both sides. Yet Reese James took it and, you know, got an, an instant assist right there. So an, an extra sort of um, something there in his arsenal that he's got up his sleeve. And now with Lukaku up front as well, he's got that target man up front. And that chemistry is only going to grow. They've, they've barely played with each other. But unfortunately, that red card has really hampered the, the rush to get Reese James because, I'm sure had he not picked up a red card, he'd, he'd be red hot favourite. And I think on that that right wing back position, he probably doesn't have a lot of competition. His only competition is really Callum Hudson Adoy, who I think we're probably only going to really see in the the lesser fixtures, maybe League Cup games. But we will see Reese definitely in the Champions League midweek because now that European competitions 
are returning. It's just an extra thing that managers have to work around now mm. as well. So yeah, a lot of question marks still, but I, I dare say in the league, Reese James is definitely, definitely a go. That's what we all wanted to hear. Reese has <laughs> just got to get through this suspension then, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the fixtures from Game Week 7 do look really nice. Let's move on to Manchester City then, because they registered their second 5-0 victory of the season. What a ridiculous statement that is, by the way. It's game week three we've just played. <laughs> yeah. but their second 5-0 victory of the season. This time they put five past Arsenal. I think going into the season, if you just said they're going to put five past Norwich, we'd have gone, fair enough. If you'd yeah. have then said they're going to put five past Arsenal, we'd have been like, what? Really? Like, <laughs> okay. We're going to talk a bit more about Arsenal later because... They need a whole show, actually, to talk about (laughs) what's going on there. But let's talk about City for now, because City, you've already said, the Pep Roulette has already been mentioned in this podcast. Pep is one of the most frustrating managers for us as FPL managers, but we are starting to see some players regularly starting, and that is quite helpful. Now, Florian Torres has been one of the most transferred in players this game week, Absolutely no surprise to anybody that the mass of people on wildcards at the moment are moving for Torres. In your opinion, is he now the best city asset to go to? Well, I started the season with Torres. So when I set up my team at the start of the season, I set up my midfield. I had Salah, Bruno, Rafinha, and I thought I've got that fourth midfielder spot as a bit of a differential punt. And I looked at what City had. They only had Gabriel Jesus as their only registered forward, who was, you know, still coming back from international. They were trying to chase Kane. That didn't happen. So I saw it as a great opportunity that Torres was going to start. He'd played preseason games up front, had sort of played up in that forward front line towards the end of the season and looked really good too. His numbers stepped up, you know, better than Mares towards the end of the season. So at at, at his price, I didn't really see much much of a risk there that the rewards far outweighed outweighed the risk. So I went with him. And after, after that Norwich game, you mentioned they put five away. Torres wasn't involved in any of the goals. He had <laughs> one ruled out, one ruled out by VAR. I spent all um, sort of the lead up to game week three, really tempted to move him on for, for Ben Rama, you know, a real knee jerk move. But I thought after seeing that Arsenal defense get ragdolled by Chelsea, I'm going to give Torres one more game because I think City could do a lot of damage. And we we did. We saw him run rings around that Arsenal defense. He was phenomenal. He was really he was, good. Could have easily finished with a lot more points too. It wasn't just the finishing. It was the runs. He looks like he's always played as a, a centre forward too. And clearly has the trust and backing from Pep because he's three games. He started three games. Yeah. Playing out of position. 7.1 is still, it's it's still cheap. really cheap. And it's at that price too where... If he's not going to start, it's not going to hurt you so much. It's not like totally. you've got a 12 million player sitting on your bench. And that that was my thinking. So I was quite happy to, to sit there. And with Pep Roulette, sometimes the biggest win is just seeing your players on the team sheet. Oh, so, for sure. <laughs> so those first three game weeks, seeing Torres in the starting 11, it was like a mini win. So you're already punching the air. Yeah. The rest is up, up to the play. And we have seen that now. And since everyone's moved for him, he's going to probably get a rest on the bench now. But... I think with the way the season's going and, you know, the international football, even if players aren't starting, they're going to feature anyway. And Mm. we've seen City late in games often put two, three goals past opposition in the last 20 minutes. So even if someone like Torres isn't starting, if he's coming on, he's running against, you know, very tired defences and City just create chance after chance. They're 
yeah, and at 7.1, there's the risk is really low and I can definitely see the attraction for managers there. So I think he's sitting now at like 10% ownership, whereas game, yeah. before game week three, he was sitting at two. So it was a very nice differential. You know, I'm sat here, I'm looking at the Manchester City team in terms of the midfielders in the game. We've got KDB and we've got Foden who are looking like they're going to be back on the bench probably for City in game week four, which does change things ever so slightly in terms of personnel and who's playing. But we had some very clear words from Jesus about how he would rather play out on the wing. And if he would rather play out on the wing, then you are playing a false nine. And we've seen him sometimes play KDB in a false nine, but not necessarily as effectively as I think Torres has played it in these opening few weeks, just simply because I think actually what happens when KDB moves is not that he's ineffective up top because he's definitely not, but they just lack a little bit of his presence where he should be when he's playing up top. So I can only see the City team getting stronger with the return of KDB, with the return of Foden. And for some of these other players in the Manchester City team, the likes of Sterling and Mahrez, I think it makes them less attractive options to us as FPL managers. But because Torres has been so good where he is and because his positioning can only be aided, I think, by the return of KDB and Foden, he feels like an obvious an obvious pick, really, which is why I think most people are moving towards him. And when you consider that the Manchester City team... To buy KDB, you've got to pay 11.9. You've got to pay 10.9 for Sterling. You've got to pay 8.9 for Mares, 8 for Grealish, 7.9 for Foden. Even Gundogan, you've got to pay 7.3. All of those, that's substantially more than you've got to pay to own Torres, who, to be honest, even if he's at 7.5, still feels like... Yeah, a bit of a bargain unders. and he still feels like the player as you say if he sits on the bench he's probably still going to come on and could easily return points because that's what a city do they get points off the bench all the time we've seen that so far this season already so I think he looks like a really nice pick what about the city defense because we've seen a bit of an injury to Laporte on international duty we're yet to see how serious that is in terms of him coming back but he is back in training for yeah. Spain. So can't be, I would have thought that serious, but they do have others that can replace him. We've not seen Stones yet, for example. Worth investing in the Man City defence, given that the fixtures over the next couple of weeks are Leicester in game week four, followed by Southampton in five and then Chelsea in six. Yeah, sort of short term that some of those fixtures look a bit tough. I mean, the Leicester Southampton fixtures, maybe not so much, although we've seen Leicester get the better of City um, the last few seasons. There's been some some epic matches there with with a lot of goals. But that Chelsea Liverpool fixture around six and seven, or you know, that one raises a few question marks. And especially if you're outlaying, you know, really Ruben Diaz is the only nailed on defender in in yeah. that defence there. We do know that Zinchenko and Cancelo probably fighting for the same position there, and, and they have both been getting lots of minutes and they are very attractive. But if you were just going for one one defender, you probably would just go for Diaz. But from the sounds of it, Laporte's injury isn't too bad. He's probably going to feature yeah. for Spain anyway. But when's Pep going to get Stones back into that side? Because we've seen once he sort of sticks with someone, he tends to stick with them for the long haul which mm. is exactly how Stones found himself back in that side last season and and didn't give away that spot. So th- there's a lot to play for, for Laporte. But, yeah, I think as, if you're just trying to nail one, Diaz is probably just the safest option right now. 
Yeah. I feel like we have this conversation every year about Manchester <laughs> <We> City. <do. laughs> they're always they're always going to be that team or Pep's in charge where there's rotation because their squad depth is so, so good. So there's always the potential for somebody else to come in. We've mentioned Stones, Sinchenko's there as well. There's so many potential options that he has that it's a little bit unfair on the rest of the league, really. But we did <laughs> <laughs> we did see in game week three the return of Harry Kane for Spurs. Obviously, he did play a little part in game week two against Wolves, but he started again against Watford. Was unlucky not to get on the score sheet. And I was at that game and remember thinking, gosh, Harry, like, <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, it did take a deflection, which took it away from him, but we'll allow it for now. Plus, it was August and we all know that Kane does not like to score in August. But we are now starting to see Spurs playing with the talisman back up top. Obviously, Sun registered his second goal and his second double-digit haul of the season in game week three. As we've already mentioned, we're yet to see how serious that injury that he picked up for South Korea is. Spurs also are on their third clean sheet of the season, the only team to not yet concede in the Premier League. Going into a game against Crystal Palace at lunchtime on Saturday, for a lot of managers, going with Kane or Son is going to be really hard because you know we've talked already about Lukaku, we've talked about Ronaldo, we've talked about Bruno, we've just talked in big detail about um, Manchester City. We've barely touched on Liverpool and their key premium assets. So to invest in the Spurs boys is difficult, but the Spurs defence are very nicely priced. You can go in there at 4.5 million if you're happy to go with Sanchez, Dyer or Tanganga. If you're happy to pay a bit more, you've got Reguillon. Mm. Are you tempted with this Crystal Palace fixture, even with games that follow against, well, let's not even take the Arsenal game into consideration because anything could happen there. But even with the Chelsea game in game week uh, five, is there justification for doing it? Because in my mind, Reguillon's a bit more difficult because the price he is, it's harder to invest in him. But with the likes of Eric Dyer, for example, you can put him in with the rotating 4.5s and just leave him out for those fixtures. I can't see that he's a bad pick at the moment. Yeah, I don't think he's a bad pick at all. And Nuno's really tightened the screws there in defence, hasn't he? And we've seen that before, what he used to do at at Wolves, really make them really hard to score against, make them really hard to beat. And and Dyer's been really fantastic to it. I've just recently binge watched all the All or Nothing series and it was fantastic. And what you got from that was that Eric Dyer is a big piece of that side and he commands a lot of, you know, a lot of respect and it sort of leads leads the way of that side. So he's not going anywhere and you're he's really, a confidence like player as well, Eric Dyer. Yeah. He, he always has been um, nominated for Player of the Month uh, for August yeah. because of his performances so far. And I think when Spurs signed Romero, a lot of people were thinking that that was probably in replacement for Eric Dyer. I don't see it that way. No. Eric Dyer has never been muted with a move away from the club, whereas they were talking about selling Sanchez for a, a large portion of this summer, but then he impressed in pre-season and has done a really good job next to Eric Dyer in the opening three game weeks of the season. I think it's Sanchez's position, though, that's Romero's. And I think Eric Dyer stays where he is, firmly in place. I think he's, as you say, he's a big character in that dressing room. But he's also making that spot his own. And he's making far less mistakes than he ever used to defensively and seems to have kind of found himself in the defence in a way that he never really did in the midfield. He was always a bit out of position and getting caught out of shape massively helps that Spurs have suddenly got two central defensive midfielders in Hoiberg and Skip, who actually are doing a really good job of protecting the back line. So I'm looking at the Spurs defence thinking there's plenty of opportunities. The one caveat I would say is that obviously with the arrival of Emerson Royal, that's Tanganga's position. 
Yeah. So Tanganga has been fantastic in the opening three game weeks, but you can't believe that they've bought Royale for him to sit on a bench while Tanganga plays. And I, I worry a bit for Tanganga's minutes moving forward. So I think if you want to invest in Spurs, the safest way to do it is by going with Eric Dyer. Or if you've got the additional money to spend, then upping him to Reguilon. But Dyer's on some free kicks and he goes up for every set piece. So there's potential mm. for some upside there too. Yeah, and he, um, Nuno probably really likes him because he's probably able to communicate to him quite fluently in Portuguese, in Portuguese. And his message across to him. Yeah, so absolutely. Probably does, does help that, that Dyer. But, yeah, he's he's looked fantastic. That Spurs defence has looked um, really, really solid so far this season. Like you mentioned, Regulon, really, once Spurs start locking down those clean sheets, then the attacking returns just take care of, them, of themselves for, mm. for players like him. Definitely a player probably being overlooked when you see a lot of the wild cards floating around social media at the moment, I haven't seen him in any, and I'd really, I'd really consider bringing him in if I was on a wild card because if Spurs are going to keep locking down that defence, those those attacking returns are coming. Right, let's turn our attention then to game week four because obviously it is coming at a speed of knots at the end of this international <laughs> break. Lots of managers have hit that wild card button. Whether you are wild carding, whether you are taking hits, whether you are rolling a transfer, whether you are using a free transfer, there's still some big decisions to be made because I think if you decide to roll a transfer this week, my goodness, your team must be in good position because there's so many decent options suddenly that are available to us. But we also have some massive fixture swings. This is the first real big fixture swing period of the season. We see some teams dropping massively, the likes of Aston Villa, uh, even Manchester United, actually, the fixtures for them start to take a turn for the worst. But there are a couple of clubs that suddenly have not been on the radar at all that come into their own. And in particular, I'm thinking about Wolves. Their defensive stats in the opening three game weeks have been good. They have conceded three goals, but one of them was a penalty from Deli Alley. One of them was an absolute worldie from Mason Greenwood in game week three. That accounts for two of the three goals that they've conceded. Wolves sit nice and pretty at the top of the fixture ticker. And I am looking at their defence and I'm thinking defensively, you are only beaten by like Manchester City and I think it's Liverpool for the lack of chances that they've conceded so far this season. Investing in the Wolves defence feels very sensible. Would you recommend it? Absolutely, especially with that fixture swing, you know, Watford up next, Brentford, Southampton, Newcastle, Villa. You can go on and on. The fixtures look really solid for for quite a while there and they have a lot of cheap options there. So you have a lot of options. Now, we've seen Samedo probably is probably the standout right now. He's at, at 4.9 million, only 2% owned still. I expect that to, to probably go up after this game week and everyone's locked in their, their wild cards. But he can offer both defensive and attacking returns. And mm-hmm. that's, I'd say the next probably nailed on defender that you'd look at would be Connor Cody yeah. because we just know that he's, in a back three, he's as solid as a rock. Yeah. But with Samada, you're paying that little bit extra for those attacking returns. And and he's been really good. When you watch the games, he's really appealing with the eye yeah. test. He's, he's pushing right up the pitch. And he's had, you know, six touches in the penalty box just in the last two games alone. So he's really pushing up, creating a lot. It's just whether Wolves can convert these chances to goals because all the signs are there. It's just yeah. it's not up on the scoreboard. Well, that let's talk about the attack then, because as you mentioned, they are creating opportunities left, right and centre. Both Traore and Jimenez 
should already have opened their tally over the last few weeks. Yeah. I have no idea <laughs> how they haven't. Like even against Spurs, against Manchester United, I watched both of those games. I still have no idea how neither of them scored. Jimenez is second for goal attempts across the whole division. Only Antonio has more than he does so far in these first three game weeks. He's got 12. Wolves, the third most creative side, 57 attempts they've created so far this season. So it's not just that they've been good at stopping the opponents. They've been creating this too. So only Liverpool and City have made more opportunities than Wolves have. And when you consider the fixtures that Liverpool have had and the fixtures that Man City have had versus the fixtures that Wolves have had, that stat gets even more impressive because, of course, both Liverpool and Man City have had games where they've beaten Norwich quite comprehensively. I look at the Wolves' attack and I think Jimenez is FPL royalty. Yeah, He is the one, of, of everyone at Wolves, he's the one that I would really like to own. If you've got Danny Ings, is it a no-brainer to come down to Jimenez or do you try and budget to go up to get the likes of Lukaku and Ronaldo? Is is Jimenez a bit of a kind of casualty of the fact that we're all suddenly moving for these premium forwards that we weren't before? With Jimenez, we've seen, even at his absolute peak, he tends to have a bit of a ceiling. He doesn't yeah. really get massive hauls. He he will tick over. He's like a metronome. He'll just tick over every game. He'll get mm. a goal, attacking a returns. He's on penalties as well. And I'm sure we're all just waiting for him to get that first goal this season too. Everyone really wants to see him come back because he's such a fan favourite. He's yeah. a hero, not just of, of FPL, but football fans in general. But yeah. 7.4 million. So that's a really cheap option. It's quite easy to downgrade someone like you mentioned, Ings, whose fixtures are turning. Whether or not you try and get Jimenez or you know someone like Traore in before the attacking returns come, because I'm sure they're going to come. I think but, they are. But they how often like do are. we see? Yeah, but how often do we see Wolves put two or three past opposition? It's been been so long. But I guess are so. they just going to get one one goal wins? Yeah, maybe under Nuno that was Wolves. They were yeah, one true. goals win. I, I I guess I guess that's where I'm kind of my quandary is with Wolves at the moment. Is I was actually really impressed with them across all all three fixtures they played so far. Made yeah. some good attacking progress. Defensive stats have looked good. Haven't kept the clean sheets. Haven't yet scored a goal, which is off putting. But we are seeing a different Wolves. Yeah. Under the new manager, they are playing differently. They are set up differently. With the transfer window closing, all of that rhetoric around is trial race still going to be there? Is Connor Cody still going to be there? All of that's disappeared now and they can find their feet and focus in on what the new manager is asking them to do. I look at these fixtures and think it makes a lot of sense, particularly if you are wildcarding, to invest in Wolves, both defensively and attack-wise, because we are seeing enough from them to yeah. suggest that the goals should come fairly quickly now. And moving on from Wolves then, when we have a little look further down the fixture ticker into second place, we have Arsenal. Now, this one is very, very interesting to me because their next fixture is against Norwich, who actually sit third on the fixture ticker just under them. And then the fixtures after that also look nice for Arsenal. But so far this season... They have been awful. So Norwich, then Burnley, Spurs, Brighton Palace. All sorts of problems with COVID. So we've obviously seen Lacazette and Aubameyang and Ben White all missing out. They're all coming back now, but we're yet to really see the impact that COVID has because for some players, they just come back and they're themselves straight away. And for others, it takes a few game weeks to get back into the swing of things. Yeah. But there also seems to be a bad feeling around Arsenal at the moment. The fans are really angry again. 
there's a lot of Arteta talk and that puts me off investing. The fixture ticker makes me keep looking at them though. Is there any way that we should be thinking about Arsenal or is it just a quick, no, let's move on? Well, like you say, when you do the form versus fixtures, they're they're so polar opposite. The form is at one end of the spectrum. Yeah. The fixtures are at the at the other. But <laughs> do you just end up in the middle and not do anything at all? Because they do have Norwich up next. But you have to think, are Norwich thinking we've got Arsenal up next? If they can you imagine if they get the first goal? The other other thing is is who do you actually move for? Because no one really seems to be yep. nailed down. There's everyone's up in the air. We, we don't know who's fit, who's who's well enough to play. I mean, if you could tell me that Pepe was nailed, I do like the looks of Pepe, especially with those fixtures, because he loves beating up against the weaker teams. You look at all the goals he scored last season, and it's all teams down the bottom part of the table. He doesn't really yeah. do it against the big teams. He's at a really low ownership. The fixture against Norwich in game week four. If I'm Norwich, I'm looking at that fixture and I'm looking at what's happened to Arsenal in the opening three game week, particularly that opening game against Brentford. And I'm thinking this is the perfect opportunity yeah. for us to go and get off the scoreboard. And Norwich, as I mentioned, they sit third on the fixture ticket. So Wolves, Arsenal, then it's Norwich. Now, Pookie's now at 5.9%. Rashika, again, he, he is... He's offering something different. And I was concerned about Norwich when they lost Buendia in this preseason. I thought not having Buendia was going to be really difficult for them because it would mean that Pookie would be isolated. It would mean he wouldn't be getting as many of those opportunities that Buendia was creating. But Rashika against Liverpool created a lot of opportunities. He was very tricky. He was all over the pitch. And there were a couple of times where Lee and I said to each other, if these two had played together for three or four weeks, they would have converted those chances. It was just about understanding where they were on the pitch. I think there's more potential in owning a Norwich player at the moment than there is investing in Arsenal because the fixtures do stay nice for Norwich, as we've mentioned with Arsenal for quite a long time. Rashik is going to cost you £5.4 million. Pounds. He's not expensive. He's a nice budget-enabling player. Currently owned by 0.2% of the game in comparison to Pookie's owned by 5.3%. And if you're talking about downgrading somebody like Ings to be able to afford to go with a premium striker in one of your other spots, is Pookie a bit of a no-brainer? Like, it feels a bit ridiculous to say that because we've not really seen anything yet from Norwich that suggests that they're going to go get hatfuls of goals. But surely they're going to turn up against Arsenal at the weekend. You think so? And I really want my double jab vaccination passport so I can go back to the Pookie party because yeah. I don't know if they'll let me in without my jab yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we saw him on penalties too. So yep. he's got that up his lock. And, and last the last time they were in the league, he just got off like a house on fire. Was scoring against anyone really. Mm-hmm. Remember him scoring against Liverpool, you know, in that first match of the season. But the finish strike, he, he, he tended to sort of tail off. But with these fixtures, and if you're looking for that budget enabler up front and you still want to play a front three, there's definitely no harm in going with Pookie because it's going to allow you maybe to bolster up that midfielder in your side. Yeah. And you talked about Milot Rosicka. Now, I have to put my cards on the table. My second love behind Chelsea is actually Werder Bremen. Who, oh, is it? <laughs> 
yes, they, they are. Unfortunately, they got relegated, but I've had the pleasure of watching Rasitza play for the last few seasons, and he's amazing. He's, he's so fun to watch. You could argue that he's a little bit injury prone, mm-hmm. so it could end up being a transfer you end up having to make down the, down the path, and he's not a big accumulator of goals. So the last three seasons, he's only had returns of like three goals, eight goals, nine goals. So he, he's... As far as attacking goes, he's not going to get too many numbers, but he has missed quite a few few games with injuries. But at his peak a couple of seasons ago, he was being talked up as moving to some of those bigger German clubs. Unfortunately, the injuries hampered him, and now he's at Norwich, and hopefully he can make, make a big impact here. At the beginning of this season, I had two Arsenal players. I had Ben White, I had Smith yep. Rowe, and I thought Arsenal were going to have a good season. I really did. Then the COVID stuff, which we heard quite late, obviously, with, with Aubameyang and Lacazette hit the club. And I thought then that is really not where you want to be. It's going to give Brentford the encouragement that they need going into that first game. And that is exactly what we saw. And then they obviously had two difficult fixtures against Chelsea and against Manchester City, which have ended badly for them. Yeah. So Arsenal will also be looking for a bounce back against Norwich. It's not just that, that Norwich are going to be looking for a bounce back against Arsenal. But I'm sitting here now thinking if my wild card was active, I would rather invest in Norwich than I would in Arsenal because I feel like the atmosphere around Norwich is is better. And I feel like there is, you know, Norwich are never going to score a large number of goals, but for the price tag they are, I'm happy to bench them. Whereas with my Arsenal players, I kind of feel like if I'm investing in Arsenal, I want it to be, I want to spend that money on them because they're going to return points. I don't have the confidence that they're going to. Yeah, and you you wouldn't want to to bench them either. Whereas, like you mentioned, if you've got a Norwich asset in your side, you're not concerned about benching them because they're that type of of asset that you have in your team. But yeah, we just we just don't know with Arsenal who we we who we can trust. And we've seen um, Erdegaard return back to the club. Is yeah. that going to hamper Smith Rose? impact with with where they play we, we just just don't know because until Arteta can actually put out his ideal 11 there and with a decent back line we we just we're just not too sure exactly exactly okay well if you were wildcard in this week Pete who would your top three non-negotiables who would be the ones that you just put in and go that's it you're done set okay non-negotiables I'm going first of all on defense Antonio Rudigo I talked about him before he's just solid as a rock world class and that Chelsea defence look quite scary when they're on their game, even when they drop down to 10 men. Yeah. So he is definitely a, a non-negotiable. Probably second in midfield would be Rafinha for me with those okay. Leeds fixtures coming up. So, I mean, we they do have Liverpool up next, which is a concern. But after that, they've just got a really clear run with the fixtures. So they've got Newcastle, West Ham, Watford, Southampton, and, and the list list goes on and on. But And we've seen Rafinha's the type of player that, he has such a wide avenue to get you points. He can, you know, whip in crosses. He can take set pieces and he can score absolute worldies as well. So part of the game is having those players you like to watch and, and he's quite a lot of fun. And he's not going to chew up a lot of your budget too. So he sort of sits in, into that enabler factor as well. And, and if everyone's trying to move to try and fit two or even three premiums into their side, every, every cent counts. And he's not really that type of player you're going to be looking to transfer out anyway. Yeah, not, no, that's true. Not that, not that headache in the future is just a, a set and forget. And 
heading into if I was wildcarding, the last one, no surprise, Ronaldo. Ronaldo. If if I was Mm. going for it. So a really great captaincy option with Newcastle up next and followed up by West Ham, who West Ham have looked good, but they have been very leaky. So there's going to be opportunities there from... um, for Ronaldo to to get some more goals there, but you know the reception he's going to get when he walks out. Um, oh, it's going to be mad! Pitch, it's going to be spine tingling, even if you're not, even if you're not a United fan, and, and just the you know if if you're watching Ronaldo and just the thought of it of him with the ball, he's sending shivers down your spine, and you want to hide behind the couch. I think that's all the temptation you need to actually get him into your side. What do you think? Oh yeah, do you know it? It really reminds me of when Bale came back to Spurs last season, and yep. there's that. There is a moment where a club legend, when they return to the club, the hype is real behind it. And obviously, last year with with COVID, the Spurs stadium was rarely, rarely had fans in it, and it was never full when Bale was there. But we're talking about an Old Trafford absolutely full to the brim of United fans to welcome back Ronaldo. There is not a moment that he is going to enjoy more this season, probably than that one walking back out in front of the old Trafford faithful. And I agree with you. I think if you're wildcarding and you don't go Ronaldo, that's an interesting decision (laughs) because this game in on its own, the fixtures after are a bit mixed, but this game on its own would be enough to make me, to make me go there. Plus he's the most expensive of the premium. So easy to move to Kane, easy to move to Lukaku afterwards. So he would be my non-negotiable on a wild card too, for sure. And you mentioned him as captain, and I think that's a good idea. Who will you be captain in this week? Have you had any thoughts on it? At the moment, with the way my side is, I still have Bruno. So I'd probably be sticking the armband on Bruno. Whether or not he's still in my side come Saturday, I'm not too sure. I'm very tempted to. I've got two free transfers, so I'm very tempted to do that that um, little roulette there and get Ronaldo into the side but as it stands it'll probably be Bruno at home against Newcastle it's even without Ronaldo there you could see him getting quite a big score yeah you definitely can I think there's some differentials out there as well that could you could go to obviously you know there's Salah who will obviously also be a popular popular captain pick but you've got the likes of Sun, if fit, or Kane yeah. um, against Crystal Palace. Both of them are going to be fairly differential captains. And Antonio's still got a nice fixture this week. So he could be another good pick. He's got three double digit yeah. hauls so far. So one you shouldn't really overlook, maybe. No, he's been fantastic for managers this season and probably leading the Ballon d'Or count as it stands. <laughs> I, I wonder if he'll take that cardboard cutout with him to the ceremony when he accepts the trophy. <laughs> he was one of my best picks in preseason, and I am yeah. very, very much enjoying owning Antonio. Pete, thank you so much for talking to me today. Good luck in game week four. And that is it for this week's Scout the Game Week. I'll be back next week to have a look back on game week four and ahead to game week five. <laughs> 